Welcome back to Change Cultivators. And today we have a guest that I am particularly fond of, Vinod Kumar, who is the CEO of Vodafone Business. Vinod is somebody that I have worked with for many, many years and one of the best leaders and change activators that I have had the privilege of dealing with over the years. So Patrick and I are very excited to have Vinod here on the show today. Absolutely, Roz. It's going to be a super conversation and uh, yeah, I'm ready to dig in. Great. So just some background on Vinod. Vinod's had a number of leadership positions across companies like Sprint, Global One, he's been the CEO of WorldCom in Japan, a leadership in PacNet, 15 years with Tata Communications as the CEO. For those of you that don't know Tata Coms, they carry 10% of the world's internet traffic around the world. And uh, now the CEO of Vodafone Global Business based in London. So Vinod, it is wonderful to have you here today. And as I say, you know, you've been someone I've worked with for many years and you know, you're a major proponent of being agile and leading in disruption versus reacting to it, which is really a, a major element of succeeding through change. And there are always those two types of characters in life, those that run into change and, and love it and those that react to it and find it, you know, more frightening. What is it that makes you love change so much as a leader? Firstly, Ros and Patrick, thank you so much for having me discuss and build together a concept and an area of thinking that I'm just super passionate about. I almost think it defines me in many ways, uh, which is this topic of change and innovation. And earlier today, I was just taking a really short walk between meetings in Holland Park with my son, uh, Joshua, who's all of two years old. And it's spring and, uh, you know, the first flowers are just beginning to co uh, come out. And I thought it was very timely given the conversation that I was going to have with you later today. So I think even nature is supporting this conversation. <laughs> so that also made me think, you know, reflect a little bit. And I get asked this question, why are you so just excited about change? And I've had, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to go to a somewhat spiritual place, if if I may, on why I think change is so important for me. First is, you know, at one level, change really creates fellowship. And it's something that I believe in. And fellowship is, you know, humans, human minds aggregating around a cause. And there are religious connotations, but just fellowship is about people putting their energies together, putting their hearts together, putting their sorrows together, putting their dreams together, and, and getting lifted as a result and as an outcome. And I think change always does that. That's on one, one level. I'm happy to dig into any of these in more detail. The second is I really feel that change at its minimal level is about survival, right, which we all care about. We want to survive and exist and see the next day. So I think change is about that. But that's a very banal way of looking at change. But I think more than anything, change is about progress. That's kind of the in-between step. But in its most beautiful form, change is about rebirth, right? It is about the butterfly effect that is always possible. So that's the second reason why I like change. It's not because of I like butterflies. They are beautiful <laughs> creatures. But I think it is about survival leading to progress, leading to, you know, a reinvention or rebirth. And then the last is just, you know, for me, it is adrenaline-inducing, right? The, the thrill of extending your personal potential is fantastic. It gets even 
more exhilarating when you're talking about teams coming together and expanding potential that they didn't even know they had. And then it's incredible and humbling when you start seeing that change at a community level or a society level. So the way I look at it is I can't see why somebody won't like change, right? And we'll talk, I'm sure, later about there's some prerequisites also for that because change can be very intimidating. But these are the reasons why I personally like change a lot. So many things in that opening that I want to dive into. So thank you for that. Like there's so much there. First, we'll take the butterfly thing off the list, right? So having founded a change activation consulting firm called Caterpillar Farm, which our mantra is all about helping companies think through metamorphosis and come out the other end into the butterfly they need to be, totally on the same page with butterflies. I want to circle back to fellowship because people in business and certainly people in change management and transformative change don't talk about that aspect of it too much. We spent a lot of time in previous episodes talking about the human side of change change. And so this notion of creating fellowship around common cause, the change management literature would call that, how do you build a coalition of the willing to kind of drive through change? It's a great thing to say, but as a leader, you got to create the conditions for it, right? So as a, in leadership situations, how did you how did you establish that? How did you build fellowship around a change-focused cause? And you know, are there certain things that are leadership principles for success in doing that? There are many, but I think the two I'd call out, and uh, I'll refer to this several times in this conversation, is common purpose, right? And a common purpose is not, let's go beat our targets, right? Let's go get so much market share. Common purpose is at a higher plane than that. And align, you know, debating, taking out options, fighting over it, and then finally agreeing is what creates common purpose. Otherwise, it is one person's purpose and not the team's purpose. So I think reaching common purpose is a really important step in, in this journey of towards fellowship. The second one I'd say is, is establishing trust, right? And that again, you know, we also are in a team, we have to trust each other and so on. But Depending on, you know, each individual's background, there are two schools of thought. I'll trust you when you give me reason to trust you. And then there's another school of thought that I'm going to trust you till you give me reason not to trust you. So you have to accept as, as a leader, as a coach of any team, that you will have people who have different starting points and neither is right or wrong. So I think the investment of creating trust between people so that they can form both individual bilateral packs and then multilateral uh, PACTS, P-A-C-T-S, is quite important in the process. So I'd say purpose and trust are really important uh, elements to invest time in in order to you know, actually create a common goal and to then build fellowship around that. I, I love that. And one, one more push on that, if I might, for our listeners. You've had the unique position in your career to kind of be the new leader entering to do transformation, right? And so taking on a new role, being the one who is going to be that disruptor. So you're walking into an existing culture where you actually have to build maybe a new purpose, as well as build trust as a new leader. And there's not many leaders who are successful in going into that environment because it does present some specific leadership challenges. So is there a moment or two in your tremendous career progression where you're like, yeah, I had to take this team. I had to deal with the culture and the purpose. I had to deal with a still in trust. Is there recollections of that that might give our, our listeners some perspective on how you've tackled that so successfully at different points? 
Well, I don't know if I've tackled it successfully, Patrick. I mean, I've just dealt with it and sort of plodded <laughs> along, I would say. Only time will tell. And I'll, and I'll, I'll tell you when, and when for me as a leader, I, I feel like I've got some things right, is when people you don't work with anymore recount moments in time, you know, 10, 15, even 20 years ago, when they really felt that they were part of a you know, change movement when they felt that, you know, as a group, we huddled around something which, you know, people would, wouldn't even think we dare imagine. And then they say, you know what, I miss that feeling or, you know, that left an indelible mark uh, on my character. And or somebody who's retiring, you know, calls and says, I was thinking of five things that I've done in my career and this was one of them. And then you say, okay, you know, some of that uh, w- was worth it. It doesn't happen every day, but, it, you know, it, I've had the privilege of it happening a few times. But I don't think there's any difference between driving change in a new organization that you've gone into or driving change in an organization that you've been in for a while, because the environment around you is always evolving. And I think if one is externally focused on your customer needs, on your competitors, on macro trends, on societal shifts, then you know, that that is what you should drive change. And it goes back to purpose, right? What is what is triggering the change? And I think very often we, we fail in our change journeys because we're not explaining to people why we have to change, right? It tends to be, oh, we have to make more market, get more market share, or, you know, we've got to improve our cash flow or whatever. All those are super important, right? I'm a business person and I'm obsessed with my PL and balance sheet. Uh, as well, but those don't get to the heart, right? There's just the, the the mind aspect, and therefore, yeah. The p- point I'm making is, in a new or old organization, it doesn't change because the the challenges and opportunities to drive innovation and evolution are the same. Awesome, thank you for that. And Vinod, you're an unusual CEO, and as I say, I've had the the privilege of spending many years with you, and I think. You know, one thing I think of in my time with you is your phrase, which I love, which is culture eats strategy for breakfast. You know, you've said that for years. And I think it's very challenging to find the time. You know, you talk about your focus on the PL, you've led very successful businesses, but you've also led very successful teams. Like I know hundreds of people around the world that would work for you again tomorrow. And I think what stands out for me is this culture eats strategy for breakfast. So, you know, you and I have also had multiple conversations on how you as a leader carve out your headspace and your time because culture is often a secondary thought because you're reporting into the board and you've got balance sheets and the shareholders are around you. But it really takes quite a skill to be able to step out of that noise and make sure that you are watching what's going on the ground, taking note of your staff, your people, the the nuances around the business, which is the, the culture piece. So what have you personally done over the years to really balance that weighted focus on culture and business delivery? Are there any techniques or tips that you uh, could share with our listeners that you've said, listen, this is what's really made me successful um, and this is why I've been able to balance those two priorities really well. Firstly, I think you're a very clever marketeer. When you say you're an unusual CEO, I know exactly what you mean. I've known you for too long. You, you're just trying to say you're a weird bloke. But that actually leads me to my comment on, on culture, right? It, it's not my original quote, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast, but something I really believe in. My only addition to it is 
culture eats, uh, you know, a strategy for breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack, and every meal in between, <laughs> in my case. And, I, and I, I really, for the life of me, can't see anything else that a CEO can think, or any leader, forget CEO, any business leader, any team leader can think as being more important. Anything else I, I actually feel is too proud and arrogant and you know, we can we can explore that later. So that I, I really think it's the most important thing. And if you get that right, and if you constantly work at it, people will see it. And the way you do it is one I'd say is to be really authentic. I do think I'm a weird CEO, right? I do think I'm a weird leader because I like being goofy. I like not you know differentiating too much between my work personality and my personality at home. Or we'll personality we'll share some friends. photographs with our listeners on the website. <laughs> yeah, I think that one we should um, check with the corporate PR first. But, um, but you know what I mean, right? I, I think you just, you, you know, you can't fake it. But when you do that, it creates a culture that people can be themselves, right? And you want everyone to bring themselves to work, not the Tata Vinod or the Vodafone Vinod or, you know, Sprint Vinod or whatever. It's it's really important. And that leads to innovation. It leads to more empowered behavior, engagement, so on and so forth. So I really believe culture at the end of the day is a few things. One is having a very clear value system on what the organization stands for. Right? It also includes things that you will not tolerate, right? Culture is about authenticity, about people creating an environment where people can be themselves and be fully themselves, all of themselves, right? And not just the work part of them and acknowledging that. And, and culture is all finally about the pact that we have with each other on, on respect, on giving space to each other and being inclusive and not judging people for, you know, by, based on their gender or sexual orientation or skin color or whatever else it may be. So these are the elements of culture. And also you'll never get to the perfect culture. It's always going to keep evolving. And also there isn't one culture that fits every organization. The values foundation remains the same, but the way we will work with each other, the performance expectation will have the level of creativity we expect is our parts of culture, right? Those will have to adapt a little bit to the environment. When we, even in my journey at Tata, we had the leadership signature we started with, right, which was a code that we had to define what we wanted the culture of the business to be. After about seven, eight years of it, we didn't change our values and our principles, but we tweaked it to something else to make it more relevant to who we were. So it's, again, not an untouchable. There's no sacred cow even when it comes to culture. Yeah, I, 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 I love that comment. And as you think about shifting the culture, kind of back to what I was saying before, which is a, a hard thing to do, and, and I agree, authenticity is important. You know, all of those things you hear are tremendously important as you look at organizations, but there's some organizations that, and teams, not even just organizations that fail because their culture is rooted in, our, our culture is to be operationally sound and kind of drive the trains on time all the time when the disruption outside them changes and forces them to shift their culture to be more agile, maybe to be more creative inspired, et cetera. And so that's a dynamic in a lot of disruptive change environments where the culture was built to be operational maybe, and now the culture has to be built for agility. That's hard to do. And I love your example at, at Tata of how you had to kind of rethink the, maybe not the foundational values, but some of these organizational mindset values. Can you dig into that a little bit more for our listeners? Because I think that's a that's a barrier that comes up all the time. I'm leading into a new world where the culture that I had is actually disconnected with how I can be successful in this new world that we're going to win in. 
I think quite often it's because people don't differentiate culture from values and in you know what's right. So I when going through any of this it is also important to look at the things that you want to keep right and to shine the light on values and say you know the the ethical ways of doing business the respect whatever the values that are most important different companies articulated in different ways with some common themes of course. I think it's important while going through any change process to also highlight that that is remaining the same. However, you know, usually external exigencies, sometimes internal capabilities require the culture of the organization to evolve and to spend time discussing it and and making that very clear. And and frankly, if you do that, I find that you can t- you'll take more people along. Again, don't rush it. It can't be a communication of one manifesto and it's it's done. One of the things that I'm I painfully learn in any time we're making a shift in strategy or making a shift in culture even if it's a small evolution is the amount of time it takes for that to seep into the organization and for it to move from capturing the minds to truly capturing the hearts for it to get to the bones of the people so they're walking the walking the talk I I don't think I've got it right once right you know i do it and i say okay it took me 6 months of constantly being on the road and evangelizing this speaking to every leader in the business covering you know hundreds of people sometimes thousands of people and then i look back you know 2 years later and you get questions in a town hall or you see behavior and you like you know what the hell did i miss right yeah. and then you go again and you say okay i'm going to make it 2 years long the next time and you know you still will miss someone so i'd say for all of us we should just accept that it is you know a journey and it's a journey that takes time and you have to speak almost different cryptic tongues to different people to get get it across to them and you know there are some things that you can do along the way to make that journey a little bit more efficient but it takes time more importantly it takes sincere effort yeah it's also not being so hard on yourself as a leader i think because as a leader you sit such high a high bar for yourself and as you say you know there isn't a magic formula and i think people always look at leaders as if they know everything you know they must be they in leadership positions and just listening to you I, i can't help but wonder you know what's the what's the hardest lesson you've ever had to learn in terms of learning your shortcomings as a leader you know and in terms of how it's changed you to lead today because you've been through a number of companies and you know you've done a lot right but as you say there's things that you only learn with experience and time you know is there something that stands out in your career where you go that was really a hard lesson for me but i'm a much better person for it today many many le- <laughs> lessons right firstly as a, as a leader i think we all have to admit that we go through you know various shades of imposter syndrome there are days you're sitting in a meeting and saying holy shit all these people ask me for answers and you know i am a bit nervous about that and i got a lot of confidence on this topic when i was in a conference with some really senior women leaders in in new york a few years ago and i won't name the person but she was the ceo of a fortune 50 company right and and she said even today i suffer from imposter syndrome and then you know i i felt like the weight just lifted off my shoulders like okay it's not just me you know obviously there are differences between men and women and then if you're in a minority in a situation it it compounds but i just you know feel that my aha moments have been what you thought were big things that you were doing were actually totally meaningless they had no impact on people 
and and what you thought were really small things have this like profound effect and a multiplier effect which you then learn from i can give you examples both ways but a, a coffee chat with a graduate intern who's come to the business for 3 months who you just stumble upon while you know walking to the neighborhood cafe to uh, grab a cappuccino and you just talk about you know the change that the company is going through and they ask some very simple but very deep questions and the snowball effect that can create behind you which was completely unintended sometimes can be much more than the most rehearsed well planned communication that you worked with your pr and comms team and you know you you've thought about every word and every inflection of your voice i i don't work that way ros knows but you know well well scripted well planned and it says it lasts for the effect lasts for the 5 minutes of the video that people watch and has no impact right mm. and 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 this is something you just you know it's humbling and you just learn from it i think at the end of the day it also boils down to things which are done with authenticity and sincerity always have a longer shelf life than anything that is too stitched up and the other thing which over the years i've learned as a leader is in change programs also to say what you don't know and to accept that there are uncertainties you know the sort of the the macho leadership approach of i'm only going to ask you to do things that I, that i know how to do or i'm telling you know us to do this or we as a leadership team have figured it all out now let's go is bogus and and people know it and and people know it even more now in in the cliched buka world so it's better to say okay we have 70% figured out 30% we want you to help us figure out that's engagement that's empowerment that's fellowship building yeah i, I want to shift to a little bit if i might because i think there's a few things we'll come back to as well but this whole world of technology right yeah clearly your expertise in 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 that area has been really critical and i know you're pretty passionate about the application of technology and how that drives change and you know the the, the existing and coming technologies like internet of things and those those kind of technology disruptors that you know in and of themselves may just seem like a a new tool or widget but fundamentally change the landscape and kind of help people do things differently and help organizations compete differently so as you look at that space technology disruption broadly defined and i'll keep it pretty wide open what are you seeing and what responses are you seeing and how does that drive a transformative mindset in companies and people so frankly as i speak to business leaders all over the world today and even in the last say 5 10 years there's no dispute in across industries across size of business across geographies that technology is really influencing personal and business lives and that technology is a thread that you pull through everything that you do i feel what we're going through is the phase initially was about looking digital i'm just using that as a proxy for technology but it's about looking digital then organize which was about how you appear to customers or customers learned about you then businesses figured out we need to be digital so we started changing the wiring of how we operate internally so it's from looking digital to being digital what we're going through now is a digital first and always digital or digital everywhere phase which is where the pivots are happening on the business model and how we use technology more broadly to fundamentally reassemble the business how we make money who we make money from and so on so you have conversations about primary revenue sources secondary and tertiary revenue sources you have 
people who take a platform approach or an operating system, they give away and make money somewhere else. These were not things we did even like 15 years ago, right? You had like your primary business and 90% of your money came from that. But today you can you could have a technology company having 80% of their resources working on creating capabilities that actually gen- don't generate the money. And then, you know, the secondary and tertiary sources of revenue with fewer people working on it are really the cash machines of the business. So that, you know, is a big thought process that we we can all refer to Lighthouse examples of that, but we, we can't always say that we do it ourselves. So there's a huge shift, I think, that's still left to be made. I think a lot of leaders are, they still can't process it, right? It's like technology is changing me, but I, I don't have, you use the word lighthouse, like I don't have a beacon of where I need to be going to really benefit from that. It's a lot of catch up going on. So I may put you on the spot and say, that if we give you the predictive kind of magic crystal ball and say, look, three, five years from now, this is actually going to be some of the drivers of how, not the technology per se, but how technology is going to be somewhat transformative, either in an industry or in a space or in the way we operate our companies. Like, is there a couple of things as you being expert in that space, see coming that just is so clear that that is going to be a disruptive force that will force some kind of transformative shifts in how work happens, perhaps. The industry that I'm closest to, I feel is going through a profound shift as we move from 4G to 5G. And it's not about just technology, higher speeds, lower latency, all that's great. But 5G is going to open the door for a bunch of other technologies that are just waiting to go mass, which is augmented reality, virtual reality, and mixed reality. That industry, from devices, services, solutions, and so on, is restrained by not having ubiquitous availability of low latency, high-speed networks. That unlock, when it happens, is going to be profound. It is going to change the nature of a lot of work. I saw this, you know, a real example of 5G network using you know, augmented reality. So in a steel plant, right? You think steel plant is not, you know, high tech, but, you know, compared to many other industries. But no longer does somebody have to sit in front of a blast furnace and manage it. That's how they were doing it even in most plants today, they still do it. It can be done remotely with the same level of performance, but in a much more comfortable environment. It'll change that kind of life. It'll change the life of somebody who's going to go and look at a sewer to see, you know, where the fault lies, because you can have a manned robot that goes and does it, and somebody sits remotely and without getting their hands dirty or having to hold their nose can get the job done. We think of very fancy things, but, and we always tend to think in technology terms, and especially in the high-tech industry, of work which, you know, is in a, you know, or algorithmic trading and somebody will do financial modeling and blah, blah, blah. But there's a, a lot of work. 30% of global economies is done with what I call work without a roof, right? People who are in the field who are doing delivery, who are doing, you know, who are doing maintenance, that are climbing up cellular towers to fix things and so on. All nature of that work will change. So we have to think about what the, the effects of it beyond the conventional. This itself is innovation, right? As we tend to apply to the very immediate things under our nose. IoT is another huge area. We're now talking about, you know, with various IoT technologies and so on. And, you know, Vodafone is a leader in the space and I'm learning a lot since being here. It is the efficiency it brings to businesses. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. We have a subsidiary in South Africa. You know, we have some friends here who are listening in and helping us with the session. And that, that, that does the most incredible work to digitize farming. 
right? And it's based out of South Africa, but we take the technology all around the world. It, it is very high technology taken to an area where you normally don't associate with digital farming. It can work both on large farms and small farms. It will both increase yield productivity, but also reduce waste because it cuts the you know, unnecessary middlemen out and spreads the profit pool more efficiently. It also has an impact on the planet. So these are the things that you know I'm really excited about on applying technologies to areas which are not necessarily the most obvious ones, which will happen without anybody looking at them. But all these other areas, work without a roof, right? farming, health, education, and so on. Yeah, it's such an exciting time. And I just get so excited about tech because it's almost like we're back in 1995, wouldn't you say? Because if you think about it, the internet launched in 1991. No one knew it. It just silently went onto the market. 1993, it became free for people to develop in and, and use. And by 1995, the internet had exploded. And it was this world, I'm sure you remember hearing about the internet for the first time going, well, let's see if this thing takes off. You know, I mean, you, I'm sure you can even remember back to your first cell phone. And who would have known what the internet was going to do to our lives? And I'm not old enough, Rose. I think I was born when the iPhone 5 came out. No, lies. <laughs> Actually, the sad truth is I predate the internet. I started with X25. Oh, did you? Listen, I also predate the internet. At university, I used to type on a typewriter, and when I made a mistake, I had to typex it out and retype. <laughs> but I think it's so exciting because, you know, the internet came up without anyone noticing, and it's changed our lives, you know, so much. So that was a 2D world, and obviously the introduction of FANG, you know, the Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, really exploded the internet world. But now, so we're back in 1995 because now we're making that shift from 2D to 3D with 5G. And again, people are going augmented reality, VR. Oh, that's nice. It's for gaming. As you say, people don't even have a clue what it's going to do. So we're back in 1995, which was this internet world to 2D. And now we're moving to this 3D world. I mean, how fast do you think that's going to happen, this shift? It's anybody's guess. To be honest, I don't even have a number I can you know, put on the table. What, what I'm you know, more excited about and I think it and that's what will drive the shift. The cross industry intersections are fascinating, right? When you take mm. what's happening in you know modern biology and apply it to semiconductor design, yeah. in what's happening in automotive and apply it to steel, and then how these techno these these industries when they work together use common threads of technology that will redraw supply chains, for example. Yeah, I, I think the unlock and potential there is huge. The other area where we're very excited about in Vodafone is the democratization of technology within businesses, right? Because of cloud, because of software as a service, because of elastic demand business, you know, elastic pricing models and so on. Now, small and medium-sized businesses are able to access technology that only the largest companies in the world had access to before. Yeah. And, and, and that is completely going to change how these small businesses operate. And, and there'll be huge value creation. There'll be huge employment that is generated. And even things like AI, AI, blockchain, AR, VR, right, 3D printing, you know, multipurpose robotics, these are not going to be just for the Fortune 500 companies. No. Right? A lot of people will be using these technologies. So yeah. I hear in my I hear in my head some listeners who are listening to this conversation with the three of us who are somehow wired to embrace disruption and change, get excited about it and go. And 
that's actually probably not the norm, right? There's a lot of people who are listening going, no, 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 wait, I got this job and I have this team and, and my task is to make it more efficient or my task is to value engineer it. And these guys are talking about, wait a minute, there's all of these things around me that should be disrupting how I think about this. I didn't sign up for that. And so I, I hear us and our energy on this call being how cool, right? Brave new world, we're explorers, we're ready to go. Well, not everybody's wired as an explorer. And so if you if you think of those listeners in our audience, who are listening going, yeah, okay, the technology is cool, but it's totally going to screw up my world, right? It's going to make me be different. And frankly, I don't want to be different. I just want to do what I'm doing today. How do you coach people like that? Okay, I think, you know, the different things, there's, there has to be a little bit of shock and a little bit of awe is, is one thing I would say is, and, you know, we, we have to refer back to history and always point to the opportunities that were created. And also, in a gentle way in the beginning and then in a more stronger way, you know, point to, you know, the consequences of not, of not changing. But I wouldn't make it personal, right? It's almost, you have to refer to it in third person and point to what happened and how yes. there was success and how people rode the wave and, you know, how industry benefited, how society benefited. And you, you know, it just gets people to feel that it's it's less changing. The most important thing in change is to take fear out of it. And that's what leaders have to do. So how do you do it? Let me speak about that a little bit. One is, I think you have to refer to history, right? But then equally point out that you can't, you know, drive a car up a swervy mountain road if you're going to look behind. You have to look in front. And, and that you, you've got to communicate that. I, it's important to discuss purpose first and larger objectives and then talk about the change that's facing us to, to make now, Right. Very often we focus on the changes that have to happen now for something in the future. You lose the people by then, right? Because they, they, they just they, it becomes too personal. But you have to talk about the opportunity, the large the larger picture, and then bring it back in. It's not, you know, Patrick Ross. You guys have to change in the following way because it has to. Be, this is changing, and therefore we must to flip the order of it. And, you know, I learned something recently, which I thought was a, a super profound effect, a, a message on change, which is to always highlight what remains the same in the same conversation as highlight, you know, talking about what is changing. Maybe I'm the last one who read this chapter, but I, I found that that's really useful. I get super excited talking about change, right? And I, and, and I just take it for given that some things are not changing. But... This is something I've started introducing in my, you know, conversations with teams, with individuals about, okay, we, these are things which are our cult, our values, you know, are things in your job, in in the way we um, organize ourselves in, in in the business or whatever it may be, that are the same. Focus on it. Let's stay calm on on those aspects, right? Once that stability, that foundation, that calmness is established. Then to say, okay, but here are the other things that are going to change. So if you only make the conversation about all the things that will have to be rewired, I think people get all tangled up in that. I think the way Simon Sinek says that, and I'll butcher a Simon Sinek quote, so apologies to Simon Sinek, but I think the way Simon Sinek said is people don't fear change, they just find comfort in the status quo. And so you have to help them be comfortable. And so I love, but I love yours, it's even more pointed, it's, you got to take the fear out of it. And I think that's a great way to say, I've got to lead people through change by taking the fear out of it, making them say, we're not changing 100% of things, we're changing these things. And we've got a plan to kind of go through this in a somewhat stage-gated way to kind of re re, re 
reinvent where we need to be. Uh, and, and the other thing is in you know most change processes, you have the option to retrace a little bit, right? And that's why I think you don't need to come across as having all the answers. You say that these are the set of assumptions we're making. We're going to make these things, these changes are must-dos. Here are things we're going to explore. And then there's a bunch of other things we have to add to this, which we'll figure out when we get there. Because you can't always include everyone in every change process from the beginning. But you have to say, okay, these are things, okay, guys, it's been decided. You know, the industry is forcing it. Organization is, has decided. We're going to make these changes for the following reasons. And then to say, when we get to this touch point, you've been part of the journey. You're, you're on the journey with us now. You're on the bus. We will all make the next step. So inclusion, I think, is a big part of making the change effective. Yeah, and with my my comms hat on, it's over-communicating, right? And I think, you know, Vinod, you do that very well. You know, you communicate to your teams. And I think that is, as you say, taking them on the journey with them. Because I think a lot of companies, the CEO and the management team will sit in, you know, a room for six months and discuss change and what's going to happen. Let's use you know, we need to go digital, you know, how many companies have been doing that for years? And then the problem is the management team comes out those six months of meetings, they have a two-day workshop with their their global team, and suddenly they don't understand why no one knows what to do. You know, we had two days with you, but what it really, you know, where the management team's had, you know, six months to process it. So, I mean, I'm not asking you this question, it's more I know that's something that's important to you is make sure you communicate clearly, as you say, even if you don't know, even the parts you don't know, so that people don't have to worry about the the rumblings in the passage or hearing of things going on and they're not involved, you know, make them part of the process. Benoit, I want to talk a little bit about your role now as global CEO of Vodafone Business. You've been in the role for just over a year and a half now, and I know that that was a move from Singapore over to London. And, you know, time-wise, I know you, you started in the role before COVID, but then obviously COVID hit. So the world you're in now is very, very different to the world you thought you were going to walk into And I think a lot of people, you know, irrespective of of role, a lot of people in leadership positions are finding that same thing. What role do you see things like business competitiveness, economic recovery, the role business leaders have to play now as we move through this critical period? You know, you've just been through it in a new role for a year and a half. Other people are in it at different stages yeah, it's been really interesting for for me. You know, I was six months in the role and then COVID struck. So we have the last 12 months or two-thirds of the period that I, I've been in Vodafone, I've worked remotely. However, thanks to all the technologies available and, and so on, it, it's worked out fine. My uh, big lessons uh, from this have been the following, right, in our context. One is it presented a huge opportunity for us to fast-track some of the changes that we're going to do anyway in terms of Mm -hmm. strategy on who we are. So we have evolved a strategy which is much more customer relevant, market relevant, and and growth growth oriented. And I think without COVID, this would have taken twice as long. But this is almost an existential situation that we used it, leaned into it, and, and brought the organization together and around that purpose, built that fellowship, you know, get get that customer focus. To, to script a very bold agenda for us going forward and, and, and you know, revamp of the strategy. 
The second thing, which is associated with change, but linked to this this pandemic situation, has been the importance that we as leaders need to play on employee well-being, especially mental well-being. I think I was always op- you know open to it, but you know going through this process and seeing that even in an industry like telecommunication, which hasn't been as adversely impacted as say you know the the, the you know transportation industry airlines hospitality and so on i have seen the toll this is taking on people and it's made me much more sensitive as a leader to that and to be compassionate about it to try different things and to sincerely try to make it better for people and and the role mental well-being well-being plays has been highlighted uh, and i think in vodafone we've done a good job but we still have a long way to go and we'll keep learning and improving the other thing that the crisis has taught us is the to lean in and play the role in communities and societies in a much more active way everything from how we've kept critical national infrastructure going at you know when the pandemic first broke our teams did incredible things you know just to have life go on right and you know helping connectivity into hospitals that had to be built overnight providing iot technology for keeping environment safe socially distanced and so on to now having you know playing a big role in the distribution of uh, the covid vaccine given our leadership in iot to working with the governments to think of the hospital of the future and how to you know keep the school system going in case we have such lockdowns in the future we've really seized this not just as a money making opportunity we've sort of kept that aside and said we need to do what's right for society and for the communities through that you know of course we're a profit driven company we're going to develop products we're going to create capabilities build relationships and we will we will leverage it but we didn't put that at the forefront uh, of our thinking and our uh, and our first reactions so those i'd say would be you know the big learnings for vodafone uh, and i think we we're coming out of this as in in some ways we're a more grounded organization a more stronger organization it always happens when you're grounded mm-hmm. it's just the law of physics but also a more ambitious organization we feel that we you know we've proven ourselves uh, at a time of crisis and we can only grow from here Yeah we're hearing that it's really brought a degree of humbleness to leaders as you say there's so many different elements but also a degree of realness as what 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 is our why as a business you know and it really is a check in on what are we here for talking about being more real i have been noticing there's a there's a little frog sitting behind you and i and i'm assuming we that's shifting to fantasy tell tell me about this frog sitting on the shelf behind your shoulder So a frog and an elephant in my in my study here. The reason I keep it is firstly they both belong to my kids so I, I stole it from their stuffed toy collection. At 55 years old I don't have my own stuffed toy collection <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> But for me it's just a you know constant reminder to deal with the elephant in the room right that's why i have the elephant the elephant also is a reminder to think jumbo size not indian elephant i want big assed african <laughs> elephant big ears you know huge tusker standing there and waving her trunk at me you know so to think both of you know to scale and and the frog is just a playful way to say leapfrog 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 right yeah. keep thinking of how you can skip you know the thinking you know go over the uh, the current situation the don't be afraid yeah. to leap 
Like, and it's become a bit of a joke now. Everyone laughs at my frog. And I love it. It's a, it's such a great way to kind of keep kind of some leadership principles front and center, right? And right, you know, just like, well, yeah, of course, the frog, let's leapfrog. So I, I love that metaphor to be able to kind of keep those things front and center as you go about your day-to-day work. Yeah. I've got- and Patrick, just on that, right, just as a, with the elephant, when we, we were having meetings in person, I had this like huge stuffed ele- jumbo that sits, is plumped on, on my big conference table. And then, and, and people literally would, would refer it to say, I have to talk about the elephant in this room because, you know, and, and they're inspired by it. You know, you think we're all 40 and 50 year olds, but we, we, we get inspiration from stuffed toys. I love it. As, as one who facilitates a lot of leadership sessions and that kind of stuff, bringing in stuff like that totally changes the dynamic and the openness of a group to be able to do it. So it, it's really cool that you do that. Um, Patrick's going Patrick's to steal that one, Vinod. I can, I can tell he's latched on to it. <laughs> I have to step up my stuffed animal game is really yeah. how I've taken that away. I'd love to touch on two last things, maybe as we wrap up, if you're, if you're good or not. I, I, again, I, I love your, your life journey and your, your leadership journey because it's touched on so many different things, so many different parts of the globe and put you in such great opportunities to kind of, kind of just do things differently as you help companies transform. Everyone struggles with change and that we all bring our own personal perspectives, our mindsets, our biases, frankly, some of them may be cultural, some of them may be where you've come from. Like, do you have points of view on uh, you know, how you think about leading people through as you build this fellowship, but everybody's coming at it a different way? How do you, maybe style flex is a word that one of our previous guests, Carol Cruz used, like, how do you do that and help people connect to that because they're coming at it from a different cultural, different norm, a different you know, perspective, every individual? No, it, it, it's, you know, it, it is true and we absolutely cannot ignore it. I've been very blessed to work in, you know, and, and live in many parts of the world from, you know, Japan to, you know, having grown up in India to doing business extensively across Africa, across Europe, worked worked and lived in the U.S. And, and we all have different experiences growing up, which influences our willingness and openness to change. Right. So I think the, the, there are differences. But at the same time, you know, the, the fear of change and what causes that fear is pretty much the same wherever you go. Equally, on the other side of it, what motivates you to lean in and embrace change is also the same. Right. So for me, the bookends of the fear and then the, the openness uh, are the same. Right. The, the path in between can be can can be different. But I think if you focus on 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 those two, right, the human element of change, not being included, not being so, you know, de- dealing with darkness and not seeing where the light is, being told to do things, not being, you know, explained why something has to be done. Those are the same. It doesn't matter whether you're in Japan or in Israel or in, or you're in South Africa or in India, right? It's it's the same. I love it. And one last quick hit question for me, and I'll set it up this way. I know our listeners can't see the video that we're watching, so they didn't see the frog. But just in defense of you, it's not all filled with stuffed animals. I actually see the bookshelf behind you. It's full of, <laughs> it's full of books and things. And so I, I'd love to ask you, speak directly to our listeners. Is there, a, is there a book? Is there a podcast? Is there something that you would say, hey, seek this out or consume this if you're really on this journey to be a better activator of change? You know, I just recently finished reading a book, which has been, I think, will help people dealing with change, going through it, leading it, you know, and we we also subject to both, right? And it's called Positive Intelligence, and it's written by Shirzad 
Sharmin is a Stanford professor. It really deals with, you know, the judge and the sage in each of our minds and deals with the saboteurs that constantly, you know, make us question ourselves, question those around us. And it just gives great tips on how to understand yourself better. And I think as we go through change, the most important thing is to understand what is it in us that inspires change and wants us to lean in and what is it that makes us withdraw from change. So that would be a, a good uh, recommendation. Yeah, I think it's, it is also about learning yourself. And I think emotion is such a dangerous thing. It can be a positive thing and a negative. One of our previous guests said emo- a negative emotion is signals your greatest opportunity in life. But I think you've really got to know yourself to go, okay, this is negative emotion. I'm going to panic or hang on. This is negative emotion. What do I do with this? You know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's what you're talking about is, you know, as you're learning to deal with change, it's learning to deal with yourself first and learning to understand yourself, which if I know, I know you take time out of your business day. You're very religious about making mental time for yourself. So stepping out, you know, you just spoke about going for a walk with your son. You know, you I know you do a lot of meetings that don't you don't sit in a boardroom before COVID, you'd go, let's go walk around the block. You know, and I think it really is being intentional being intentional about how you lead, you know, how do I carve time out for myself to think properly, to understand myself so that when things happen around me, I don't get caught up in it. So that's, that's wonderful. Thank you very much. It's been great to have you on the show. I know Patrick's enjoyed it as well. Fabulous. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And hopefully it was a conversation that'll benefit at least a few. I'm sure. I'm sure it will. And I know our listeners are going to enjoy it across across the globe. So thank you very much. And we look forward to speaking to you again soon. Okay. Thank you so much. 